Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast, where we talk about how to grow your agribusiness through improving efficiencies and productivity. I'm your host, Jack Creswell, and on this week's episode, episode 56, as we head up north into the warmer country of Northern Territory, just outside Darwin, a bloody beautiful spot. This episode, we're joined by Mick Jacoby as he runs us through what it's like to work in the Northern Territory. In the cropping side of things, it's not your usual Northern Territory ringer story, but in saying that, they have to really adapt to different conditions of farming up there. So let's dive in and see how it's all done up north. Mick, how are you going, mate? Fantastic, mate. How are you? Really good. Nice and wet down where we are in central west New South Wales. How's the weather looking up in the NT? Uh, it's probably a bit like your summer. We've got a, it's dry, very dry. Obviously, it's the dry season, the middle of the dry season. Um, so, yeah, we've got nice days of sort of 25, 27. Um, and the humidity and just a light breeze and, yeah, sun shining. Beautiful. Well, I think it's a mild six degrees here at the moment, so a bit jealous of you. <laughs> but, mate, it's yeah, good no. to have you on the podcast and to see what happens up in the NT and what you get up to. Before we get down to agribusiness and what you get up to, can you just tell us about your connection to agriculture and where it's landed you today? Yeah, um, so I'm a, I'm a farmer. Uh, I do a bit of contract farming as well. Um, and I've got a whole range of things I'm involved in. It's mostly broadacre stuff, hay, uh, seed production. I'm going to probably have a dabble in cotton this season, I think. And, um, and in the last 12 months, I've ventured uh, into horticulture. I've been um, having a bit, of a bit of a trial run with some ginger growing up here. Yeah, I saw that. We'll be touching on that 
later about your ginger trial and how you're getting that into the NT. It's good to see like you working in agriculture and you're pretty diverse in what you're doing. How did you land yourself in agriculture? Have you always been in ag? Um, no, not really. I mean, I was, I was born in Sydney um, and then um, mum and dad bought a little hobby farm out <coughs> near Bathurst. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and um, they bought a little hobby farm out near Bathurst. And um, I was sort of always, just, it's something I thought, I think I've always been interested in it, but I think um, if it's not where you're from, you don't, it's not at the forefront of your mind, I guess. Um, and I sort of took a few twists and turns. I did a trade as a diesel mechanic and then um, I got a, her- a commercial helicopter license and I spent quite a few years flying commercially, uh, mostly cattle mustering and aerial operations, you know, um, ag work and, um, um, and sort of um, that sort of stuff uh, up here. And then um, just finally decided, right, I'm going to have a go at this farming and I got an old tractor out of the dump at Spring Creek Station and fixed it up and started making some hay and just went from there, really. And literally started to make some bales and start producing. So currently at the moment, what's your operation like? What's your day-to-day? Um. It varies obviously through the year. Um, at the moment, we're just um, we're just finishing our hay season now. Um, most people are well and truly finished, but um, I've got a couple of lease blocks and they're down in a swamp. So that gives me the opportunity to do all the contract hay work for everyone else first, and then I can get back um, back to these these blocks are closer to Darwin, so I can sort of get back to town and um, and. And being a bit wetter and a bit lower, they hang on. They're really green still. Even there's blocks now we can't get onto yet. So um, we just sort of tip away. It takes the pressure off a bit just um, each day doing that. And then in amongst that, there's the uh, tending to the ginger twice a week. I've got um, a young fella. He's still at school and it's just his casual after school job. He comes in for a couple of hours twice a week. Um, And then I sort of duck in there once or twice a week and have a look. And then in between all that, we've still got our um, seed blocks where we've got our producing our grass seed that's sort of, they're pretty intense at the moment. They're in the early stages, so it's a lot of hand, hand planting and, and sort of tending to them as, as individual plants and um, getting that sort of up to a few hectares. So it's sort of machine harvestable and commercial. Um, so then that's what we sort of do when we're not doing the, the rest of it. And then, um, so we'll have a bit of a, a bit of a run now we'll finish the hay off in the next week and then we'll have a bit of a run on the um you know uh, multiplying the, the seed stock at you know, the seed farms and then uh, we'll start looking at some ground prep ready for this wet season for our um so out we've got a sort of summer cropping program here most things are planted in december and then harvested anywhere from late march early april till sort of late june depending on what it is um, so yeah, that's, that keeps us busy and in between all that, there's always maintenance. So there's never, never a dull moment. Yeah, absolutely. I just came out of the shed. We're fixing a few four wheelers so we can get on the wet ground. I know what it's like, um, but your equipment would be a bit more vast than we have on our farm. But mate, tell me a bit about how the NT agriculture operates, how it differs to what most of my listeners would be on the Eastern seaboards or over in WA. How do you think? the NT operates differently or how should we have a different view going into it? Yeah, that's a good question, Jack. Um, look, there's, it's, 
I don't know how even to start describing because it's totally different even from North Queensland if you look at the tablelands up there. Um, the territory is probably like, you know, agriculture-wise, if you look at um, turnoff as far as dollars go, the horticulture sector is probably the biggest one um, and the territory produces more than half Australia's mangoes now. So that's a, a massive um, money spinner for the territory and the territory ag sector. And then outside of that, Look, if I had to guess, I'd reckon that the Territory's probably only got about somewhere between 75 and 95,000 hectares of broad acre agriculture now. Yeah. So it's not a big sector. Um, and in terms of um, GDP, like, you know, dollar-wise, what it turns off, it's, it's not massive, but we're just sort of entering into a massive growth phase now and cotton's sort of the, the, the hot word on everyone's lips and the returns on that are... And, and, you know, to grow it, you know, unirrigated just with rainfall, just dry land, it's proving to, so far it's in its third year now and it's, the results are, are pretty encouraging. Um, and most of what we produce really is the, the, the main sort of turnout, the main, the main product that we produce here in the broadacre um, system is, um, is hay for the local cattle market as far as, like, the territory cattle market goes. Um, yep with our constraints on, on, you know, the growing season and stuff, our, and, and what we can grow here, you know, we don't grow the sort of stuff you guys that grow in the Southern States, like your export quality. Hey, we do, we do have some good stuff here, but it's um, getting the volume to get an industry like that going. It'd probably be pretty tough up here, I'd say. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite varied and, and there's ups and downs too. There's things that go through phases. You know, we had um, a bit of a chair industry going for a while and then, South America was able to produce a lot more with half the input. So we sort of that fell by the wayside. And there's been a, quite a few commodities that have come and gone over the years. Um, and probably the biggest challenge for us, the challenge wise, the biggest thing is the sort of the tyranny of distance and the isolation. Um, and, you know, our inputs typically will cost us sort of 20 to 30% more. Um, yeah, it's all our fertilizers in in thousand kilo bulker bags, whereas you guys probably most of your, your listeners would be buying it in tippers or in bulk loose. So we and we got two hundred bucks a ton freight on top of everything we buy. So um, so straight away you got that, and then the yields are always um, sort of slightly less than what you get in the in a similar situation either in Aston Tablelands or, or on the east coast. So. Um, not to say it's not viable, just it's um, there are challenges there, and you just got to crunch your numbers and make sure you're sort of keeping things running a tight ship, and and then yeah, generally it's not a problem. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot to take into play when you're looking at an extra two hundred and fifty bucks on your load of fur, or even on your bag, just getting it to to the farm gate. How how have you seen that impact the industry? Like, is that ninety five thousand arable? hectares increasing or decreasing no that's definitely increasing and like i said cottons cottons are sort of the hot topic at the moment um on you know both sides of the fence too i mean there's a lot of opposition to it as well um and a lot of that's mostly just ill-informed people that um they're sort of thinking that we're going to pump all the rivers dry and it's not the case as i said it's it's based on a 80% 80% of our production being dry land, so all rain-fed cotton or no irrigation. Um, and, um, and look, we're, we're looking at having a gin up and running by 
um, next June when the cotton season, when the cotton picking starts next year. So, yeah, that'll definitely, when that gin sort of is, is in full swing, that'll definitely spur on a lot of development. And the other driver that will come out of that is the cotton seed. Um, to have a, a relatively cheap, high-protein feed source, that's, that's probably our biggest shortfall in the, in the cattle industry is having access to protein. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, again, if you want to buy soybean meal or corn or something like that, from the east coast, um, you know, it's plus to two hundred bucks a ton freight every time you want to buy something. So it just, while it's probably not too bad at the moment with the price of cattle, um, you've got to be able to cover all those bases um, if if the cattle price dips back to sort of um, earlier levels. Yeah, definitely. So across the NT agriculture, the production's pretty vastly different. You got vast kilometers ahead of you just getting your inputs to the farm but one important one is recruiting we spoke about it earlier in the piece about how you can access a pool of skilled workers or non-skilled workers that you're looking for on farm how how do you see this um for nt agriculture and also your own enterprise yeah that's another good question jack um so i'd probably say the the people who are most most sort of struggle most with that is the hort guys because they'll have, you know, um, a typical mango farm or a melon farm. They might have 30-odd, 30 to 50 staff in the peak picking season plus their, their regular staff just for their day-to-day operation. And so most of those people traditionally have been backpackers or, um, you know, people out of the Pacific, um, you know, Vanuatuans and um, yeah. Tongans and place like that so now with um travel restrictions around with covid that's that's really hammered those guys pretty hard um you know for the broad acre guys it's probably less of a problem getting the volume of people but the skill level um i think attracting people and keeping them long term um, living in the territories it's a unique lifestyle but it's not for everyone that people that really like it wouldn't have it any other way but the people that doesn't quite appeal to, um, they sort of generally, they come and they go. Um, so it's a pretty transient place, but um, there's probably an opportunity for us up here to, to offer experiences to people. So, you know, while you might not want to live here forever, you know, there's certainly an opportunity for people to come up and, you know, catch a barra and, you know, whatever, just do the territory thing for a year, you know, at Catherine Gorge and Ayers Rocks, 1500 k's down the road and, um, you know, Kakadu National Park and Litchfield and there's, yeah, there's plenty to see and do. Um, if you want to come up, spend a year or two here, have that experience and then, and then, you know, head, head off again, that'd be, yeah, that, that's probably, probably something that we, we should look at as an industry to really offering, offering that lifestyle to people for a year or two and some of them will stay and some of them will leave. But yeah, trying to attract the people with the prior knowledge is, um, is probably a little bit of a challenge and I think, it's not that people wouldn't do it. It's, I think, um, connecting the dots, you know, getting the message out there to, to let people, you know, in other parts of Australia know that, that there is jobs available and, um, and that we are looking for people with, with those skills as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of mates, they headed up there in their gap year. There's a, like they go up there for a year or two, but then there's only a few that may stay up there for five years plus or even take over running a station. 
Um, but I haven't like seen too many go up into horticulture or broad acre for NT. So that's a bit of an interesting one for you to flip the coin there and see what you can do trying to get people in. What about the locals? Are they keen to get into agriculture or is it just those within the community sort of cycling around? Um, yeah, no, I think like, I mean, I've got, um, I've got two guys now working for me that are, um, they, um, they're full time and they're, um, they're not from agricultural background. Um, and they're, they're loving it. They reckon it's great. They're, they're predominantly from a mining background and, you know, both, both good at fixing things, both mechanics and both good operators. And, you know, they, without any real um, sort of history in farming, they've sort of jumped in and, um, and, and embraced the whole thing head on and they're having a really good crack at learning new things and they're quite enjoying their, their new experience and they sort of look like they're going to be here for the long term and they're both Darwin locals. Um, then, like I said, I've got Bryce and he's at school and he's um, he's actually wants to go farming when he um, when he finishes school, but he he wants to go down to um, South Australia and do the broad acre and sheep cereals and sheep stuff down that way is what he really, where his heart's set on. So, um, you know, that's, he's heading the opposite direction, but um, yeah, certainly a combination of, of all of the above. There's, um, you know, the, the, there's probably not a, a whole big um, talent pool to draw on as far as farming, broad acre farming goes in the, in the territory because it's not a big thing. But, um, but yeah, I think there's, there's certainly a lot of people that aren't in that game that are definitely looking to, um, um, that are definitely looking to, to sort of get involved too and they're, they're certainly interested in it. Um, and, and probably a lot of younger people too. I mean, I've been doing a bit of few school visits and things, and um, yeah, the kids have um, the kids are really showing an interest. So I'm I'm hoping. And there's a lot of school programs running at the moment. Actually, NT Farmers, NT Cattlemen Association, and um, PQ in Agriculture. And there's there's quite a few um, um, there's quite a few sort of organisations that are um, that are um, that are helping to kick that along. So yeah, with a bit of and, and enthusiastic ag teachers at schools too. So, so you know, hopefully with um, with a bit of that, um, we'll foster the, the next generation through as well. Yeah, definitely. I think having the teachers on his side definitely helps. But previously we talked about it and you took your tractor into a school, didn't you, just to showcase what, what it can be like working on a farm. And it was quite a new one. So they can, nothing in agriculture is always run down. There is hope and prosperity in what we do um, and we are looking to build like you seem quite innovative in your approach is that something we need to convey to children finishing school or even in the lower grades of primary school that we are innovative and we are looking to do a bit more yeah and look i think um that's a pretty good point too jack um that was the reason that um, the school got in touch with me is they said, look, we've only got a little, you know, 30 horsepower open cab tractor and they wanted to show the kids auto steer and, and some of that other technology and that sort of thing. Um, and they just said, we just don't have access to it. Um, can you, can you come and show them? And they, yeah, they, the kids, their idea of what a tractor was, was nothing like, you know, what we're using in, oh, well, you know, they're, there is still operations using the older gear, but um, the point of the the point of the exercise was to show kids that that a modern farms don't look anything. You know, they're not the 
the old dude with the bib and brace overalls and the straw hat sort of thing. And um, yeah, just to show them, you know, it was, you know, for, for kids that are sort of into iPads and, and, you know, computer games and drones and tech and all that sort of stuff, they can, they can do all of that stuff for a living um, in agriculture. And, and that was part of the idea of taking this tractor in to, to say, hey, you know, this tractor is worth more than a Ferrari and most farms have got a handful of them. Um, you know, they can steer themselves. They've all got GPS guidance, there's technology, everything that you need there. Um, and it's all the latest and greatest. Um, and so, yeah, that was the, that was the whole idea there was to, um, to give them a taste of what, what it's really like nowadays. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes as far as nurturing them and allowing them to see what's happening in agriculture. In the last 10 years, it's got quite a lot of technology put into it. And it's great to see that you've took the initiative and took your track, own tractor into the school. Well done. Yeah, cheers. No, I think the kids had a, had a, had a lot of fun with it too. I don't know how, I don't know what sort of impact it have, but I mean, I did have... Um, the, te- the teacher actually commented they had a lot of feedback from the parents so they must obviously gone home and talked about it and yeah you, you never know when you do these things if it's you know if it's just a fun thing for an hour or two of your day or if it actually is going to change someone's life or what they might do with their life so so yeah it is nice to get that feedback and it is I do live in hope that we can you know if everyone chips in and, and takes that approach that we can sort of bring more people through the ranks yeah 100% and it's that subtle feedback that probably goes the furthest. So if you don't hear back, it's probably not a bad thing anyway. There's some kid that's probably thriving to finish school and get out there in the paddock and work within whatever industry, within agriculture, hopefully, they want to. But no, that's great that you did that. Moving on, for the NT, how important has it been for yourself to trial and error experiment with different, different elements of ag or like even different varieties? of what you're growing. I see like your ginger trial. Can you just talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, that's, um, I can't even remember that sort of, that's something I've been sort of plugging away. And what I've found too with ter- with the territory agriculture, like a good point that I'd have to make is it's it's a long road and it's not, um, you know, I probably started looking at ginger, it'd be at least five years ago now, I'd reckon. Um, and I just, um, you know, I heard a, a bit about it and it's, it's a pretty um, tight-lipped industry. There's not a great deal of growers in it. It's primarily based around southeast Queensland and, um, you know, and it's, it seems to be quite a profitable industry. And so it's not what you'd call, you know, really open to new, new players. You sort of you sort of left your own devices to sort of Google stuff and find out the hard way how to do it. Um, and fortunately the NTDPI has been very supportive and they've, they've been quite helpful with a growers guide and, and helping with a bit of tissue cultured clean seed material to get started. Um, so it's been a great, great collaboration with our NT ag department. And it just started off, you know, this is our first year where eight and a half months in now. Um, and so far, um, I mean, we we didn't really know at the beginning. It was a, it's sort of when when we when I first planted it and got it going, it sort of wasn't doing much, and we didn't know how it would react to the yeah our climate's quite different here to what they've got in um, in southeast Queensland. And we knew it would grow like people grow it in their gardens up here quite a bit, home gardeners and things, and 
you know, it's not a, it's not like this is the only ginger, um, you know, ginger plant in the whole of the territory, but um, it's probably the first real big, um, and and like it's it's reasonably scientifically tracked, you know, and there's, you know, we had to sort of sterilise the whole greenhouse, pressure clean it all, and bleach it, and clean it all, and and then had sterile planting material and bags, and then it's all everything's got to be on little trays up off the ground, and it's it's quite a controlled environment to to ensure you don't have any of that disease issue that you get when you're growing the ground sometimes. Um, but the results so far, after eight and a half months, I, I emptied a pot the other day to um because <laughs> my wife needed some ginger, and uh, I said, all right, I've, I was just getting impatient. I thought these these bags are just they're looking great. I really want to see what's in them. And uh, I emptied one out and I had over a 20-fold increase in rhizome weight in eight and a half months. So, um, and I've still got, again, I don't know when it's going to finish for the season. What happens at the end, the ginger, the foliage dies off and it absorbs all those carbohydrates and sugars and things back out of the foliage into the rhizome and it still grows for a little while once the, the leaves die off. And then once it's all died off, that's when you sort of dig it out and, and harvest it and then That'll be that'll be when we'll do it. And like I said, it could be a month, it could be six weeks, it could be eight or ten weeks. I could potentially, I may have to sort of turn the water off to get it to completely die off. Too, it may not want to die off completely. So, still can't answer all those questions until we've sort of completed our first year of growing. But it's definitely showing um, exceptional promise up here. It definitely, and looking at the farm gate value of 32 million for southeast Queensland, where it's concentrated, that would be great to put your hand in the pot as well and then even improve the ginger industry outlook. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I actually don't really know anyone from Queensland, but I, and I can't say how, how they'd view sort of outside players getting involved and, and um, you know, I would hope to think that they wouldn't wouldn't feel threatened by what I'm doing, and um, but I'm certainly I'm what I'm interested in primarily chasing is um, obviously our domestic market in Darwin here, but it's Singapore as well. And I know at the moment we do we do import ginger from Fiji, uh, for Malaysia, and Vietnam, um, sometimes from China too, and uh, it'd be great to to bridge that gap. Um, and, and to not need to import any, uh, so that'd be that'd be pretty exciting. And then also to be able to ex, you know, to grow enough to be able to export. So um, I'm actually sort of making some inquiries around the markets in Singapore and things like that, and seeing if there's not a um, opportunity there. And and really to again, not it's probably not a competing with something that they have there. It's it's a totally separate product line, and to brand it as Australian, and you know that that sort of clean green ethically produced sort of thing that seems to be gaining so much traction with the consumer nowadays, hopefully, um, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll, we'll really sort of push into that market. That's sort of where I would like to see it go. Yeah, definitely. Even when you're looking at wholesaling or even very adding the product, have you looked into very adding anything of yours? I've had a few on the podcast that are currently like G'day Garlic, they, they're doing garlic, dried garlic, different varieties of it as well have you looked at anything like that yeah look and yeah same thing I, I certainly have and probably what i'd say is any rhizome that doesn't make the grade as far as the shape 
so when you want to grow it, um, when you want to sell it as a fresh product, you, you want it to have a nice colour, a nice shape, a right, the right size. So anything that's undersized or has an odd shape or an off colour or anything like that, I would, uh, where I see that stuff going is either to the local, I wouldn't process that myself, but there's a few local breweries in Darwin and there's one in Alice that have made inquiries about um, ginger for their ginger beer. They make alcoholic ginger beer. So that's that's one aspect um, where it would go locally. And then probably the other thing I would, would look at, and I've been experimenting in the kitchen at home with this one, is um, just to dry it and make ginger powder. Um, and, it, yeah, I think because um, it's a really good quality ginger from what I've grown so far, what I've seen. Um, and that dried powder compared to what you get off the supermarket shelf, I think to be able to make it in... Um, you know, I think smaller packages and, and have it, you know, regularly on the market, not, you know, you don't want to be producing it once a year and then storing it for a whole year sort of thing. I, I'd like to see us harvesting our ginger every month throughout the whole year if we can um, get to some sort of rotation, if that's going to work. Again, I can't really comment on that till the end of this end of this season. I've got some more data, but that's sort of certainly where I'm aiming for and yeah, I think just a, a better quality product um, and drying and and grinding the the ginger isn't a, it's not a really tricky process and it doesn't need anything too complex to do that. So yeah, certainly I'd like to send yeah obviously the fresh market's the highest price market, so I want yep. to send it as much as I can there first, and then anything that doesn't make the cut, then I see it sort of going to to the dried market as ground ginger powder. Yeah, right. I actually thought the dried market might have been worth a bit more. Um, possibly. I think you'll find that... So the um, Fresh is best, though. But yeah, the fresh probably has... I mean, seed ginger's the highest. Uh, and seed ginger's where I actually started out, um, you know, selling the fresh, clean seed ginger to other growers. So they got disease-free ginger to plant. It's the same as when you have your potatoes. A lot of the... Some potato growers grow their own seed potatoes, but a lot of lot of guys just grow seed potatoes and sell them to the commercial growers who then concentrate on growing the commercial potato crops. It's much the same as my understanding is that the Queensland guys generally will dig up their ginger, keep sort of some pretty good stuff to replant for next year. Um, and then um, yeah, the rest of it they sell sort of thing. But if they've got any outbreaks of of disease which sometimes happen then they're struggling sometimes to get access to um get to clean seed ginger because when you plant it with the disease then it just sort of it doesn't go away once it's there if you plant it with it it just gets worse yeah so there's definitely an avenue to to supply um even potentially queensland if they've got a wet year and they've got a lot of bithium or fusarium there may be an opportunity for us to supply, supply seed ginger to them and vice versa um and then I think outside of that, the fresh market's the next best and then the processed market. And it's probably a bit the same as something, see if you take apples to compare, you know, the apples that have spots or blemishes or whatever, there's nothing really wrong with them, but visually they don't appeal to the to the um, consumer. So they go in the apple juice. So um, it's probably much the same where the, the stuff that doesn't have, it might be just as good quality, but it might have a visual appeal. And so it, it won't attract as high of a price and, whether you can offset the um, the lower price because it's a, a visually a substandard product with um, with value adding through grinding and drying and whatnot, um, 
I, I haven't checked how that actually stacks up. I've just been, as I said, just playing around with the dehydrator and the spice grinder in the kitchen just to see what, what the results might be. Oh, good stuff, though. That's where it all starts, just to see how you can try to implement it into your own business and grow another channel for channel of revenue for yourself, which is really good for, and pretty important for Australian farmers to look at the different opportunities as you have done so also. Um, but moving on, um, start to wrap up the, this episode. We've gotten on a bit, but what would be your piece of farms advice for those in the Northern Territory or even outside through your different experiences? Um, yeah, look, I'd have to say and just never, never give up. Um, I, um, I said to someone, they said, oh, what's your exit strategy? And I said, well, I don't have one. And they said, well, what are you going to do if it doesn't work? And I said, well, I said, it's just, that's not an option. You've just, I mean, there, I've got to be careful what, you know, when I say that, what I mean by that is, um, I don't mean just bang your head against the brick, against the brick wall forever, but um, you know, if you're choosing something like ginger is a tropical crop, so we know, we know it's going to work, um, but we don't know exactly how it will work. Um, and so I just say, just and don't put don't put everything into it in one go and hope it works the first year. And if it doesn't, then you sort of sink yourself. It's what I mean is you just start small and just keep chipping away and keep learning and keep learning and keep growing and and then just keep expanding. And the most successful enterprises that we've seen in territory agriculture have been the ones that start small and grow steadily and learn. And because there's always going to be learning experiences and, um, you know, things pop up. You know, we had a, um, there's a virus that popped up a few, a month or two or something ago. I'm not sure, not just recently anyway, a snake gourd virus, a snake gourd's an Asian, a veggie, and it's popped up. It's, it doesn't exist anywhere in the world. It's just a new virus that just popped up in Darwin, just like that. And that's the thing with tropical agriculture, not just in the territory, but with tropical agriculture generally is um, things just pop up. And because, um, because it's such a small industry relative to the rest of Australia, there's just not the resources um, and the funding to solve problems when they pop up. So, a lot of times it's, it's innovative growers and, um, and people that are sort of just observing and thinking outside the box and, and checking out, you know, things, you know, just, you know, traveling and talking to other people across the world and forums and just stuff like that. And that's how sort of most of the problems get solved. So, um, so yeah, I think that the trick is just know you're in it for the long haul and, um, and start small and, and grow big steadily. Great stuff. Just get in and get it done and then you can scale out later if need be. Mate, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on and showing your expertise and what's going on in Northern Territory. It's pretty good to get an insight. You're the first person from the NT we've had had on, I believe. Oh, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Actually, no, I lie. We had the mango industry, Sarah Hain on, second person oh, from Sarah the NT. Hain, yeah. There um, you go. Yeah, she actually went to uni with me. Um, so it is good. You have attracted one person I know up into the NT and they've stayed for the long haul. Yeah, and she's good. I think Sarah's here. To, I know Sarah quite well. I think she's here to stay too. She's pretty passionate about about territory agriculture and also the mango industry and amongst other things. And 
Uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that, that, you're right, that's a great example of someone that um, got interested and came up here and they've decided they're, they're probably going to stay longer term. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, the backyard is pretty cool also. Ravoy National Parks, swimming pools and whatnot, watering holes. Absolutely. Right, so we'll wrap it up there. But before you go, who else would you like to hear on the Farms and Fires podcast and why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, can I have a list of people? Yeah. <laughs> I won't say um, no. I'll tell you who would be a great, a great bloke to talk to would be um, um, Tony Matchett from Savannah Ag. He is someone I'm working with in the sesame industry. He's based in Queensland um, and we're working together on sesame. It's another emerging crop up here and it shows another... It's another crop that shows a lot of potential. And again, Australia imports pretty much all at Sesame at the moment. So for us to be able to crack that one, that would be, um, that'd be pretty exciting. Uh, and he's involved in so many other things. Um, I can't even rattle off all the crops that he's, that he's um, trialling and, and working on. Um, but he's, he'd be a really great bloke to, to hear from, I reckon. So he'd be well worth worth talking to for um, tropical agriculture insights and innovation and, and emerging crops. Um, and then I'll tell you the other thing, I, don't, I can't name a person, but uh, I know you had someone on, um, the lady who was talking about carbon credits. Yeah. Um, and, and she mentioned, um, I've forgotten his name now, Guy, I think. Um, but any, like anyone that can talk about carbon and organic matter in tropical soil systems, that's a fascinating subject and the reason I find it so fascinating is that um, there's so little knowledge on it and it's a real challenge um, to keep carbon and to keep organic matter in our soils just purely because of what um, microbial activity does to that over the wet season um, and we just don't have a we have a bit of an understanding, but it's not a. We don't have an awesome understanding. It'd be awesome to if you could find someone that knew a lot about that subject. Um, that'd be that'd be really interesting to hear from someone like that. Absolutely. Well, I'll get on to them and see what we can do. But if you're listening and you're from that area, or if you're Tony, of course, get in touch. Mate, thank you very much for coming on the show. For anyone that wants to reach out to you, are you on social media or how? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, so got a website, www.nthsg.com.au. And then on um, Instagram, NT Hayseed Grain. And we've got a Facebook page, NT Hayseed, <clears throat> pardon me, NT Hayseed and Grain. And got a LinkedIn profile. Um, fortunately, I'm not super active on the socials. I probably need to do more of that, but usually I'm too busy doing stuff in the paddock to worry about socials. And um, I do put things on there from time to time. And uh, if people message me, I certainly will respond. Um, but yeah, by all means, if you want to have a look at what we're up to and some of the things that are going out around, um, going on up here at the moment, then yeah, look us up and be more than happy to answer any questions if anyone's got any. Beautiful, mate. Well, your best work is out in the paddock and not on social media. Um, so stick to the paddock and get in touch with anyone that gets back in with you. Thanks for coming on, Mick. Really good to see Thanks, a glimpse of the NT. We'll catch up soon. 
Thanks for tuning in to episode 56 with myself, Jack Creswell, and Mick Jacoby, going through the challenges, but also the upsides of farming in the NT, and not your usual story coming out of the Northern Territory. If you like this episode, please let me know on our socials or even share it directly with your audience through the Spotify share link. Share it on Instagram, goes straight to your story and helps us reach more farmers across Australia. We've got 314 farmers, 14,000 more farmers to go for each month. We're nearly up to 4,000 monthly. It'd be really great to crack over that 1,000 a week. But until then, next Tuesday, tune in and keep on farming. Thanks for sticking around for the Farms Advice podcast right until the end. If you'd like to join the Farms Advice Australia Facebook group, please do so. Go to the Farms Advice Australia, search it in the Facebook group and become a part of a connective community, a community of innovators in farming. See you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.